Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts, or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you, and on with the show. When I do drop off in the morning, I always drop my son first. So he's still at daycare while his sister is in year one at primary school. And she often wants to stay at daycare because it's more fun than school. And I feel for her, learning is so hard. When I say that, I'm thinking especially at the very beginning. So when you're first learning how to read or write or add, It is all very challenging and most of us forget how hard it was at the start. Matthew Diebel is the Director of Evidence for Learning. It's a national national not-for-profit that supports evidence-based education practices in schools, but also tips for parents. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Hi. Great. Nice to be here. The first years of school can be really challenging, can't they? Oh, absolutely. You've got the challenges for the young boy or girl that's starting in school and all those changes, but it's really tough on the family too. New routines, new expectations, um, and when you're going through it for the first time, it can often evoke for parents a whole lot of their own experiences uh, as they went to school, and that can be positive or, for many people, quite negative. Especially when it comes to the friendships. Oh my gosh, that's a, that. I don't expect you to answer We don't have questions. many good evidence. Both strategies for dealing with <laughs> playground troubles uh, and disputes. Okay, well, we'll leave that to one side. Um, I know most parents listening will assume that it's important for them to be involved with their child when they start school. But what is the research about why it's important to be involved? Well, I think the first thing to say is that parents create the most important environment, not just for academic learning, but for well-being and attitudes that can carry kids through their schooling, but through the rest of their lives. And so it is really important. But the other message we really want to emphasise is that parents already feel like they're probably not doing enough. They feel like there's all this other stuff, the guilt that gets carried. And the the more important message is we really have to recognise that almost all parents are doing the very best they can with the time and resources they've got available to them. So it is important, um, but you are probably already doing things that you don't even know are really supportive of learning. And with a few little tips and tricks or some hacks, you can make the things that you're doing every day even more supportive of the learning in school. Okay, well, that sounds good to me because I always struggle to get the readers done and they're quite painful to get through as well. So when we talk about involvement, I love what you're saying about, you know, we're probably already doing stuff. So there are those parents who feel that they're not doing enough and then there are other parents who literally hover over the teacher's shoulder. So even in the best-case scenario... We don't necessarily want parents to be sort of pushing themselves into the classroom either, do we? No, that's absolutely the case. I mean, we're really fortunate in Australia. We have great teachers um, who themselves are doing the best that they can inside the classroom and environment. And the aim shouldn't be for parents to um, replicate or second guess the work of the school. This is really about a partnership um, and the things that you can learn about that the school is doing Uh, you can work out how you can reinforce those activities. And it's very much about the communication and the the conversation between what's going on at school with the learning and how that can be supported at home. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Matthew Diebel. He's the Director of Evidence for Learning. They are an evidence-based education um, 
facility, I guess, where they go and support schools. It's not for profit. And although they do support schools, they also support parents, which is why we've got Matt in the studio today. You were mentioning um, that we are probably already doing things that might support our kids' learning. What sorts of things do you mean by that? Well, the first place is, you know, the things that will make the biggest difference to future outcomes is having a safe environment at home, um, and that's emotionally safe, um, being good food and sleep. So if you're doing oh, those right. things, give yourself some ticks to start. Brilliant. Yeah, that and, was and that was easy. I know from having young kids myself that sometimes that last bit of getting them to bed oh, in time yes. or to sleep is enough on its own. But the next layer of that is actually about creating the environment or attitudes to learning. We often might have heard of a term called growth mindset. And this is the idea that children should, as early as possible, have a view that it's not that their intelligence or their abilities are fixed. Because if you think they're fixed, then there's no point trying harder. Whereas if you have an attitude that I can always learn and get better, I can improve on what I'm doing, and the aim for you as a parent is to create the opportunities for that mindset to develop. And in short, what that means is you swap the I can't with you can't yet. I like that. You can't yet. But I'm also thinking it probably has to do with role modelling as anything. Well, as much of it's self-talking. I mean, I, I think that growth mindset, yeah, I continue to apply to myself really often oh, as well. Damn, that means I'm going to have to just, I can't always put the car stuff onto my husband, can I? <laughs> I can't just say mummy doesn't do that. Oh, no. Role modelling's hard work. Okay, so I love this idea of growth mindset. I have heard it before. It just sounds like such a great way to look at learning. But what I have found, I remember speaking to a one of my friends at school, her little boy's in the same class as my daughter, and she said he got the reader, um, he was doing quite well the year before, and she said this year, she said, I don't know what's happened, but he just seems to have this feeling that he can't do it. And I can see that she she tries to encourage him to finish, and but she's a bit lost. She's like, I don't know why he thinks he can't do it. He was doing so well last year. And that attitude of, I can't do it, I understand trying to encourage a growth mindset, but what do you do once they start thinking, this is too hard? Because it is hard. Oh, it is for sure. And, and many of you were saying before too, certainly in grade one and two, when you're starting to build some foundational activities to support more academic learning, literacy and numeracy, they're really difficult concepts um, and, and those base um, activities can be hard and not natural for many kids as well. So one of the other strategies um, that does have a good evidence base behind it is effective feedback. And again, feedback can, uh, I mean, the research actually shows it can um, be fantastically effective. It can also be negative if it's not done in the right way. And so feedback doesn't mean praise for talent, doesn't mean you're so smart, isn't that terrific, you've got it, because that sort of builds that fixed mindset. It's also not just praise for effort. So we sometimes as parents drop into, well, if I just keep saying the most important thing is you try, all I want you to do is try, all I want you to do is try, um, that sort of moves away at least from the fixed idea, but you're not providing the right um, information to help your child take the next step. So effective feedback is about giving specific praise. I loved how when we did that reader last night, you tried to sound the words out letter by letter, or you thought about some other ways in which you could come at that. Staying at that was really good. Next time, why don't you think about other words that have got the C and the H sound together, a ch sound. So giving practical steps of what to try next from your own experience as to how you got to those or with support from the school and some suggestions so that when you're giving feedback, it's not just 
pushing to let's get this finished so we can get tea time on, but uh, giving practical and specific steps to improve can make a big difference. So in that respect, speaking of time-poor parents, if you only get through half a reader because it's more challenging than that you used to, if you only get through half a reader but you're applying those principles where you're saying specific things and giving suggestions, is that better than, like you say, getting through to the end of the reader in time for dinner? Yeah, well, I think this is one of those things where, like, kind of giving medical advice on a yeah, talk back. specific, it, it, yeah. You know, the parents uh, and carers know their kids the best, and teachers probably know their kids the next best. So you as a parent, trust your own judgment as to, are we going to make progress here, or is this going to become such a battle that I'm going to create a negative perception and reaction to the reader, for example. The thing to remember is that this is a marathon, not a sprint. You're wanting to build a long-term interest in learning and feeling of accomplishment and achievement. And if kids are getting stuck, um, one, you shouldn't approach that with frustration yourself, and that can be hard to hold back on your own frustration. Um, So stick with it. Definitely talk with your teacher about how they could support or whether they've noticed similar things. Again, this conversation with the professional educator is really important. And finally, also with these activities, remember how you can build them in to other things in your day. So readers are the, the child reading to you, but as important for literacy development are other things like oral, comp- oral um, comprehension. So having good conversations where you're using words um, yourself, you're talking a lot, actually builds really strong reading literacy and reading to your kids yourself. If there's a book that you love to read or that's really good for um, for settling at bedtime, you know, that makes a big difference to literacy development as well. So even doing those things can be good ways of moving out from getting stuck on the reader. I don't mean to harp on about this because you've just covered it um, in terms of when they come up against a difficulty, but something that just really sticks in my mind or sort of a, a conflict in a way that I have is how important I think reading is just for a love of learning and an enjoyment of life. And then the actual physical difficulty in learning how to read when you when I'm observing it in my daughter, for example. Is there is there any value in acknowledging the level of difficulty it is for them? Like saying, you know, when I was a kid it was hard for me too, but look I can read now. Like is there any value in that or are you is that almost a negative connotation to what they're doing. uh, It's always worth acknowledging the struggle and the difficulty that's being faced. And I think the other thing for parents to go easy on yourself is there is a wide range of um, ability to quickly acquire these things. And you, you know it for your kids anyway in other areas. Some kids can move more quickly on an activity and that could be a physical activity or it could be cleaning up or tidying their room or a bit of verbal language. Um, some... <laughs> there aren't children who clean their room. Don't be ridiculous, Matt. <laughs> but all, you know, this is the, the, the wonderful thing is that each child is unique in terms of their unique gifts and the things that are, come easily to them and those things that they've got special challenges in. So, yes, it's good to um, remind them and yourself of the challenges that you had, um, but it's also worth being aware that you'll have difference in a family. If you've got a couple of children, you'll see that one finds it easier than another on a particular task. And, and reading's a, you know, an important one because so many of us, and, and rightly so, understand it to be the real foundation of, of other kind of development. Um, so it is good to acknowledge the difficulty. Um, and it's, and again, another really important um, sort of evidence-based strategy is about what 
So technically it's called putting you in the zone of proximal development. Oh, that sounds yeah, super detailed. <laughs> but what that basically means is the Goldilocks principle. You know, not too much, too much, not too hard, not too easy, but just right for the level of stretch. And so again, this is why you as a parent don't have to determine that completely yourself. Your school and your teacher will help you understand that. But if you find that um, for your daughter or son that they're just struggling with the level that they're at. There's a worth of conversation to say, are we, are we out of that good zone? Um, do we need to step it back a little bit? Or if you find that they're terribly bored by what's going on, but that was just the next thing to do, that you have a conversation about, could we try something that, that stretches them a little more? And we like to sort of talk about that. The conversation you want to have is the brain or reading is just like a muscle or like anything else you learn how to do. It grows the more that you do it. Yes. So I've got to deviate from just the reading thing because obviously that's what I'm dealing with in my home at the moment. <laughs> I'm speaking with Matthew Devil, who is the Director of Evidence for Learning. It's a not-for-profit national organisation that supports evidence-based education practice in schools. And he's here today to also give us some tips as parents if you have a child who's just started school. And um, what I like about your ideas, you've, um, Matthew's just been mentioning how if you have given your child food and sleep and a safe place to stay, that you've already made a good start on their education. I like that. Um, but also simple things like having good conversations or reading a book you both enjoy are very simple things. Because I think one of the fears of some parents, um, I think there are two camps. There's one camp who worry their kids are getting too much in the first year. And there's another camp who worry they're not giving them enough extra stuff um, and that they might fall behind. What would you suggest to the first camp who were like, oh, there's too much going on. I don't need to worry about what we do at home. Well, I think the first thing is that learning happens all the time. Uh, not just at school. And so uh, even if you don't think you're actively creating some lessons in the home environment, you are. It's that modelling that we were talking about before. And so if you feel like too much is going on at school, um, therefore we don't need to do any activities at home, well, you are already engaging in some activities um, that you could uh, more uh, carefully or not, not even carefully, just more simply build in some things that can help reinforce the work at school so that you're not having this, right now you need to not worry about these things, but that you, again, on the, the language we were talking about, try and have conversations if you're working uh, much harder with the teenagers that I've now got in my family. Um, <laughs> but if you can start early to have conversations on the way to school, whether you're walking or taking the bus or driving, some of those discussions can um, both build confidence in the work and give you a sense to, of learning about where they're at or what their attitudes are. And just the conversation itself alone, researchers said, makes a big difference to learning gains. And for those families who are like, oh no, okay, it's kindy, time for you to get a tutor in reading and maths or you'll never make it to that university. Obviously, that's an extreme example. Yeah. But there are some parents who worry about their child not getting ahead fast enough. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's. I think there's, there's a lot um, of media and uh, many providers of products that are quite happy to play on those fears and concerns. The, 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 I mean, the best answer is that it's got to be a mix of these two things. Um, there are foundational skills that need to be built, and we know a lot from education research, not everything, but a lot about how to build those skills in the best way. And your teachers and the schools are constantly trying to think about that work. Um, but if they're disengaged or if they feel like they're unsupported or if they feel like none of this is relevant to them, um, then they'll disconnect from that. 
And therefore, the best teaching and learning strategies in the world at school won't land because the kids feel blown out and pushed too hard. And so, again, parents need to use their own judgment about, is this um, push to learn more coming because the school is interested in saying that to you as well? Or is it coming because you feel like there's a worry with the learning that is going on with your child? Or is there something else in your own need that's driving this decision? Because ultimately, um, I know that you've written about the myths, 10 myths surrounding education, which I'll put a link to on the website because I loved it. Um, one of the thing that, things that we talk about a lot is homework mm. and the benefits of that. And I can't help wanting my children while they're young to have as many opportunities to play as possible. Um, when we talk about very young children, we know the benefits of play before they hit school. What's the role of play once they get to school? Is it still... Um, is there still evidence to suggest that play helps them learn? Yes, there is, uh, and certainly the case for the first three years in primary school. But actually, there's good evidence that playfulness and that playing um, attitudes that were built in the early years can be really powerful activators for learning all the way through. So play is always important. Curiosity um, and intrinsic or internal motivation is the most powerful way kids can move forward. Um, uh, But in that play in early years, again, what we'd be saying is there are some ways of allowing that play to be a little more directed to the things that can help reinforce the learning that's occurring in school. And what we mean by that is... um, And this is the sort of evidence around homework that if readers or your listeners can have a look at on the website, the evidence is quite strong that homework in secondary education does make a difference to learning gains. Um, And in primary school, it can be, it is more mixed. Um, And on average, it's not um, very effective. Um, Where it can be effective is when the homework is very closely linked to the work that's already been occurring in school in that day and acts as a reinforcer of what's been learned rather than driving new learning after they've already had a very busy day at school and particularly for grade ones that are just getting used to all of the other social and uh, and institutional dynamics. And they're just tired. Uh, look, I have been blubbing on. I've been so interested in what you have to say. I didn't even get to the tips that you have for making learning fun. So what I'm going to do instead is encourage people to head to our website because we'll put a link up to it where Matthew has outlined some really fun things you can do with your children All I can say is look out for water scrabble, swimming scrabble. It is the best idea I've ever read. Matthew, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That's Matthew Diebel. He's the Director of Evidence for Learning. And as I mentioned, I'll put a link up to two articles. One has tips on how you can make learning fun in the home, and they are fun ideas. They're not like walking up and down steps counting each one. And the second is a link to 10 Myths About Education, which is a really great read. Get your child off screens and into their imagination as we explore how bubbles are made. What's in a sneeze? Achoo! And what's with the weather today? Professor Know-It-All knows. Hello, beanies. Hello. The The Beanies. A podcast just for kids. Subscribe now on iTunes or listen anytime on the Kindling app.